Long History, a journal of the first voyage of Dasco da Gama. Part 8. Fates, Fights and Fanfares. Melindy to India. Hello and welcome to Part 8 of Long History's A Journal of the First Voyage of Vasco da Gama. Here at Long History we like to give you source documents split up into chunks of around 10 minutes or so, so you can listen to history from the eyewitnesses and string as many episodes together as you want to listen to a full document or just to pick out the bits that most interest you. Vasco da Gama's first voyage is one of many journeys by famous explorers on Long History We've covered many famous names and world-changing events, including Magellan, Francis Drake, Sir Walter Raleigh, Columbus, Henry Hudson and more. So while you're here, have a click or a scroll around and explore some important documents from history. And this is part 8 of a 15-part series, so please subscribe to be informed of the release of the remaining episodes. And just to say before we begin, that by the end of the last episode, Vasco da Gama's record-breaking voyage was well underway. He'd rounded the tip of southern Africa, beating records set by the previous Portuguese explorer Bartholomew Diaz, and was now heading up the east coast. And by the end of the previous episode, he'd reached Melindi and had a meeting with the local king. Things seemed to be going well, and as this episode begins, those meetings continue. So here we go with a journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama, part 8, Fates, Fights and Fanfares, Melindi to India. On Thursday, the Captain Major and Nicolau Coelho rode along the front of the town, bombards having been placed in the poops of their longboats. Many people were along the shore, and among them two horsemen, who appeared to take much delight in a sham fight. The king was carried in a palanquin from the stone steps of his palace to the side of the captain major's boats. He again begged the captain to come ashore, as he had a helpless father who wanted to see him, and that he and his sons would go on board the ships as hostages. The captain, however, excused himself. We found here four vessels belonging to Indian Christians. When they came for the first time on board Paolo da Gama's ship, the Captain Major being there at the time, they were shown an altarpiece representing Our Lady at the foot of the cross, with Jesus Christ in her arms and the apostles around her. When the Indians saw this picture, they prostrated themselves, and as long as we were there, they came to say their prayers in front of it, bringing offerings of clothes, pepper and other things. These Indians are tawny men, they wear but little clothing and have long beards and long hair, which they braid. They told us that they ate no beef. Their language differs from that of the Arabs, but some of them know a little of it, as they hold much intercourse with them. On the day on which the Captain Major went up to the town in the boats, these Christian Indians fired off many bombards from their vessels, and when they saw him pass, they raised their hands and shouted lustily, Christ! Christ! That same night, they asked the king's permission to give us a night fate, and when night came, they fired off many bombards, sent up rockets and raised loud shouts. 
These Indians warned the Captain Major against going on shore and told him not to trust their fanfares, as they neither came from their hearts nor from their goodwill. On the following Sunday, the 22nd of April, the King Zavra brought on board one of his confidential servants, and as two days had passed without any visitors, the Captain Major had this man seized and sent word to the King that he required the pilots whom he had promised. The King, when he received this message, sent a Christian pilot, and the Captain Major allowed the gentleman whom he had retained in his vessel to go away. We were much pleased with the Christian pilot whom the King had sent us. We learned from him that the island of which we heard at Mozambique as being inhabited by Christians was, in reality, an island subject to this same King of Mozambique. That half of it belonged to the Moors and the other half to the Christians. That many pearls were to be found there and that it was called Kului. And this is the island the Moorish pilots wanted to take us to. And we also wished to go there, for we believed that what they said was true. The town of Melindi lies in a bay and extends along the shore. It may be likened to Alouchette. Its houses are lofty and well whitewashed and have many windows. On the land side are palm groves and all around it maize and vegetables are being cultivated. We remained in front of this town during nine days and all this time we had fates, sham fights and musical performances, fanfares. Across the Gulf, the Arabian Sea. We left Melindi on Tuesday the 24th of the month for a city called Calicut with the pilot whom the king had given us. The coast there runs north and south and the land encloses a huge bay with a strait. In this bay, we were told, were to be found many large cities of Christians and Moors, including one called Cambay, as also 600 known islands, and within it, the Red Sea and the House of Mecca. On the following Sunday, we once more saw the North Star, which we had not seen for a long time. On Friday, the 18th of May, after having seen no land for 23 days, we sighted lofty mountains, and having all this time sailed before the wind, we could not have made less than 600 leagues. The land, when first sighted, was at a distance of 8 leagues, and our lead reached bottom at 45 fathoms. That same night, we took a course to the south-southwest, so as to get away from the coast. On the following day, we again approached the land, but owing to the heavy rain and a thunderstorm which prevailed whilst we were sailing along the coast, our pilot was unable to identify the exact locality. On Sunday, we found ourselves close to some mountains, and when we were near enough for the pilot to recognise them, he told us that they were above Calicut, and that this was the country we desired to go to. Calicut That night, we anchored two leagues from the city of Calicut, and we did so because our pilot mistook Capua, a town at that place, for Calicut. Still further, there is another town called Pandarani. We anchored about a league and a half from the shore. After we were at anchor, 
Four boats, Almadias, approached us from the land, who asked of what nation we were. We told them, and they pointed out Calicut to us. On the following day, these same boats came again alongside, when the Captain Major sent one of the convicts to Calicut, and those with whom he went took him to two moors from Tunis, who could speak Castilian and Genoese. The first greeting that he received was in these words, May the devil take thee! What brought you hither? They asked what he sought so far away from home, and he told them that we came in search of Christians and of spices. They said, Why does not the king of Castile, the king of France, or the Signoria of Venice send hither? He said that the king of Portugal would not consent to their doing so, and they said he did the right thing. After this conversation, they took him to their lodgings and gave him wheaten bread and honey. When he had eaten, he returned to the ships accompanied by one of the moors who was, no sooner on board, than he said these words. A lucky venture, a lucky venture, plenty of rubies, plenty of emeralds. You owe great thanks to God for having brought you to a country holding such riches. We were greatly astonished to hear his talk, for we never expected to hear our language spoken so far away from Portugal. A description of Calicut. The city of Calicut is inhabited by Christians. They are of a tawny complexion. Some of them have big beards and long hair, whilst others clip their hair short or shave the head, merely allowing a tuft to remain on the crown as a sign that they are Christians. They also wear moustaches. They pierce the ears and wear much gold in them. They go naked down to the waist, covering their lower extremities with very fine cotton stuffs. But it is only the most respectable who do this, for the others manage as best they are able. The women of this country, as a rule, are ugly and of small stature. They wear many jewels of gold round their neck, numerous bracelets on their arms, and rings set with precious stones on their toes. All these people are well disposed and apparently of mild temper. At first sight they seem covetous and ignorant. A messenger sent to the king. When we arrived at Calicut, the king was fifteen leagues away. The captain major sent two men to him with a message, informing him that an ambassador had arrived from the king of Portugal with letters, and that, if he desired, he would take them to where the king then was. The king presented the bearers of this message with much fine cloth. He sent word to the captain bidding him welcome, saying that he was about to proceed to Calicut. As a matter of fact, he started at once with a large retinue. At anchor at Pandarani, May the 27th. A pilot accompanied our two men, with orders to take us to a place called Pandarani, below the place where we anchored at first. At this time, we were actually in front of the city of Calicut. We were told that the anchorage at the place to which we were to go was good, whilst at the place we were then it was bad, with a stony bottom, which was quite true, 
and, moreover, that it was customary for the ships which came to this country to anchor there for the sake of safety. We ourselves did not feel comfortable, and the Captain Major had no sooner received this royal message than he ordered the sails to be set, and we departed. We did not, however, anchor as near the shore as the King's pilot desired. When we were at anchor, a message arrived informing the Captain Major that the King was already in the city. At the same time, the King sent a bail, with other men of distinction, to Pandarani to conduct the Captain Major to where the King awaited him. This bail is like an alcaide and is always attended by two hundred men armed with swords and bucklers. As it was late when this message arrived, the Captain Major deferred going. Vasco da Gama has made the momentous journey across the Arabian Sea to India. He's arrived on the southwestern coast of India, in the Kerala area. To his own surprise, he has come across someone who speaks Portuguese. As this episode ends, there's a little bit of a power play. As the local king tries to tell him what to do, and Dagama doesn't quite follow orders. In the next episode, Dagama lands on Indian soil for the first time and has an audience with this local king. Thank you for listening everyone to this episode of Long History. I hope you've enjoyed it and if you've made it to this point it does suggest you've liked it so please give it a like before you move on. And if you know of anyone who might be interested in these documents from the Age of Exploration, don't forget to share them. Thank you for listening to a journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama, Part 8, Fates, Fights and Fanfares, Melindy to India. Goodbye.